A word of God from Genesis chapter 3. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, and all wild animals, you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're just a week away from not only Father's Day, but the summer solstice. The first day of summer is uh, June 20th. And that means, in case you haven't noticed, that the days are really long, right? I mean, we have so much daylight this time of year. Officially, the sun sets on uh, June 20th, the first day of summer. I think it's like 8.34 p.m. The twilight this time of year seems to go on till 9.30 or 10. That memory for me of the really long days coupled with getting out of school for summer vacation. Those are my fondest memories of June as a child. And, you know, as I look back as an, uh, an, an older gentleman, I, I look back on my life and I realize, and maybe, maybe you can say the same thing, that there's really only a few years in our life when summer meant freedom. At least that's the way I looked at it as a kid. I had the freedom to sleep in. I had the freedom to play ball when I wanted to. I had the freedom to just ride my bike when I wanted to. I had the freedom to go swimming. And I was blessed with a large family 
and lots of kids around my age in the neighborhood and one and we would just play games all day in the summer and what i recall is that the final game of that long day would always be hide and seek and that's as the the twilight started to set in and we knew every nook and cranny of the neighborhood so that we kids would uh, you know we knew every spot to hide in in our neighbors yards we wouldn't come in from this game until we heard our mothers calling us it's hide and seek that we just read in Genesis chapter 3 but it's not a game here the crown of God's creation are hiding from their creator and the creator God is seeking them he asks where are you and then he asks even more questions to seek out their hearts. But this episode of hide and seek is anything but playful. This is when hide and seek is not a game. And as we watch and listen from this word of God, we really are watching ourselves and we're hearing ourselves because this little interaction between Adam and Eve and God is the way we interact with God. Because you see, often we hide from God because of our guilt. And always God seeks us out because of his grace. I know you don't want to, but just forget for a moment that we are having perfect weather right now in Milwaukee. I mean, it's just gorgeous. Go back a few months to those, what I call the cruel months of April and March. You know how it's, it, you can have a, a really beautiful, sunshiny, kind of warm day, and you're thinking, yes, this is it. The weather is changing, and we are now headed into some nice stuff. And then the wind changes, and it comes from the north, and clouds cover the sun. And pretty soon the temperature drops 10 degrees, 20 degrees, 30 degrees. And then you're thinking, wait, this is winter again. Genesis chapter 3 is an account of the dark clouds of sin and the icy blasts of guilt ruining God's perfect creation. 
It's there that we read, or where we read, that man and woman, Adam and Eve, are tempted by the devil. The devil who is as real as you and me. And they are tempted to do what? To doubt God at his word. And then they are tempted to directly disobey God. And then our first parents, knowing exactly what they were doing, disobey God. They sin, and everything changed. The Bible is very clear that there were horrible ramifications for every future generation because of this sin, including yours and mine. But let's not even go there right now. Let's just take a look at the way the relationship between Adam and Eve on the one hand and God on the other changed that moment that sin entered the world. Once, people walked and talked with God in perfect harmony. Now, they were hiding from him. Once, they had no reason for shame because there was no sin in their lives. Now, Adam says, He's hiding because he's ashamed of his nakedness. Once, Adam sang a song of praise to the Lord God for giving him the perfect gift of a wife. Now, he says, the woman you gave me, she's no gift. She's the reason I sinned. Once, Eve praised God for all of his creation. Now she's saying, the serpent you created, that portion of your creation, God, caused me to sin. Adam and Eve weren't just like looking to hide their bodies behind the trees in the garden, were they? They were looking to hide their hearts from the Lord. They were trying to hide their guilt before God. And how were they doing that? By not confessing their sin. By shifting the blame. By refusing to take responsibility. Sin brought guilt, and guilt alienated them from each other and from their God. They wanted to hide their guilt, so they didn't confess their sin. Now, maybe your parents taught you, I know mine did me, that, um, you know, it's bad enough to disobey but it gets a lot worse when you lie to cover it up. 
and to not face the consequences and not receive the forgiveness that we, we, that we need. Isn't that why God asked all those questions of his wayward children? You know, to Adam, he asked, where are you? Have you eaten from the tree that I told you not to eat from? To Eve, what is this you have done? Let me tell you, an all-knowing God doesn't need to ask questions to gain information he doesn't know because there is no information he doesn't know. He asked those questions for their benefit, to give them a chance to unload their guilt, to confess their sin. Well, the weather might be perfect right now, and maybe this great place on a great lake seems like the Garden of Eden, but it ain't no Garden of Eden. And the fall into sin, that's ancient history, right? And maybe these are just dead words on a page if we think that we're so wrong because you see their story adam and eve's it's our story this is what we do this is what we often do with our guilt guilt is i guess one definition of it is a feeling that washes over us when we have sinned Maybe against another person. Maybe there is no like other human being who is the object of our sin, but always God. We sin against God. And we get this feeling that washes over us that we have done something wrong and that we deserve punishment. And we need to do something with that. We need to go somewhere with that. So what do we do? Uh, like Adam, we might blame God. Hey, I can't help it. This is the way you made me. Or we might blame others. others you show me a man or woman who is rotten to their spouse or family at home and I will show you a man or woman who is running away from God and is not confessing their guilt to the Lord but you know, all of the excuses that we can come up with. All of the reasons why, oh, it's not our sin. They will not stop God's searching question in the garden from being asked. 
What is it you have done? To hide from God. It's no game. In fact, it is an extremely dangerous maneuver. And here's why. Because when we keep hiding, when we do not open up to the Lord and confess our sins to him, we don't get rid of our sin. What we do is we block ourselves. We block ourselves from the forgiving love of a seeking God who is looking for us in his grace. Adam and Eve found that out. As powerful as their guilt was before the Lord, in that it, um, it wormed its way into their relationship with each other and with their God, even more powerful was God's grace. Grace. That's a holy God surprising us with his love and kindness. We who are very unholy people. And it's that grace that was the headliner in this plan that God now announces to Adam and Eve. It was that grace that kept God from just wiping Adam and Eve off the face of his earth. Because his love for sinners would not allow him to do that. And instead of announcing judgment on them, what God does is he announces a promise. The promise of how their sin would be taken away and how they would be snatched away from the devil. That promise is the gospel. And the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, good news for you and me is bad news for the devil. And that's why in the very first time in the Bible that God preaches his gospel, gives a gospel promise, and we've got it right here in Genesis chapter 3, it's announced as a curse upon the devil. Good news for us, bad news for the devil. It starts with a, a, a physical curse, a, a visible curse upon the animal that Satan used, the snake. Now this was not like punishment upon snakes, as if like their mode of transportation um, slithering upon the ground was some kind of a punishment upon an animal. After, well, after all, they do just fine slithering on the ground. But what it was was a sign. It was like a sermon. It was like an object lesson on how Satan 
had bit the dust. Okay, he was a goner. His days were numbered. Turn out the lights, the party's over for Satan. Why? Because of what God said next. And here it is. To Satan, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head. You will strike his heel. Yes, that's the first gospel promise ever spoken in the Bible. And it's spoken right after the first sin. Doesn't that show you the grace of God? Promise instead of punishment. Now let's dig deeper into that promise. I will put enmity between you, Satan, and this woman and her offspring. Now, uh, enmity means what? Hostility. So God promises he's going to establish some hostility. Now, there was already plenty of hostility in the world. That's what sin does. But the hostility was misplaced. It was between person and person, a, a husband and a wife. It was between people and God. What God was going to do with his plan of forgiveness is he was going to reestablish hostility in its right place. And that's between people and the devil. Now, how is that going to happen? The only way that can happen is when God takes us by his grace and he works faith in our hearts, faith in Jesus Christ, and he removes us from Satan's camp and he brings us onto his team so that we now look at the devil as our enemy. But it all hinges, this promise, it all hinges on one specific offspring of the woman. One singular and supreme champion who would not just be at odds with Satan, but would crush him, get rid of him. That's the he of Genesis 3:15. And this, my friends, is a direct reference to Jesus Christ. He is the offspring of the woman. The Bible says he's born of a woman. Every step of his life, he was challenging Satan. He was attacking Satan. He was taking the battle to Satan. When he resisted temptation, he was battling Satan. When he did his miracles, he was battling Satan. When he cast out demons, he was battling Satan. When he was changing people's lives and, and changing the, their eternal destination from hell to heaven, oh, he was battling Satan. And even when, 
Satan seemed to get in that fatal blow on our champion, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he suffered and died. It was exactly by that very wound, exactly by it, that he was defeated. The very blood that, that Satan brought forth from Jesus when he struck him on the heel is the blood that crushed Satan once and for all. As the scripture says, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sin. God went looking for Adam and Eve to tell them this. And he's looking for you and me too. Friend, when we stumble and fall, when we listen to the serpent and we sin, let's consider who our God is. He is a God to run to, not hide from. He's the God to talk to, not to give the silent treatment. Why? Because he's the God who's got the promise. And so let's just stop trying to get rid of our own guilt by our own methods. Let's stop with saying it's somebody else's fault or this is just the way that I am or, or, or everybody else is doing it. When we sin, let's openly confess it to God because he's standing there with his arms extended not to punish us, but to receive us, to welcome us, to hug us, to love us with his forgiveness. And he stands with his arms extended, not to ask us to pay, because our champion is the one who has paid. And when you receive that forgiveness, from your seeking God, that's when you can forgive somebody else. Are you having trouble forgiving somebody right now? Is it eating you up? Ask yourself, have I opened up to my God and confessed my sin to him? and received in my champion, Jesus Christ, full and free forgiveness, do I realize how much I have been forgiven? Because our forgiveness from God is our power to forgive others. Let's commit to the courage to just stop 
hiding from the Lord. It takes courage, but that courage comes from knowing who's looking for us. Every day, turn to your seeking, saving God. He went looking for the first sinners. He goes looking for us sinners. And the best place in the world is to be found by him, forgiven. Amen. This message was a production of St. Marcus Lutheran Church. For similar content, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or our YouTube channel. For more information about how to support our urban gospel ministry in Milwaukee, please visit stmarcus.org.